Hello and welcome to Embodying Change, a series of conversations on care and compassion in aid and development. I'm Marianne Clements and today you'll hear my colleague Melissa Pitotti with whom I'm collaborating on a project being incubated by CHS Alliance which is looking at building care and compassion in aid and humanitarian work. In this conversation today Melissa is talking with Nazra Ishmael, director of the Somali NGO consortium. You'll hear them talk about how care and compassion um, show up in Nazra's work um, and the things she thinks it's important for us to bear in mind as we think about the evolving nature of aid and development and how care and compassion can play an important part in that. To our listeners out there, I'm so pleased to be here today with Nasra Ali Ismail. Thank you. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Did I really good. I had to practice a little bit before. Um, I got to know you a couple years ago when I worked at ICFA, and you came to our annual conference mm-hmm. where we were talking about the triple nexus between humanitarian development and peace-sustaining work. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about a different kind of triple nexus. But before we do, I wondered, could you, um, just for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you want to say a little bit about who you are, what you do? Yeah, I'm excited. Well, first, thank you so much, Melissa. It's been, um, my first visit to Switzerland was actually around that time where I met you. And so I think I came back in part because you were here and it was uh, such a great, uh, you were such a great person to meet then. You know, I was just uh, new to the Somalia context. Uh, a Somali-American who was just coming back after being away, I think, since I was a child, since mm-hmm. I was six. And so then being burst into the humanitarian sector was kind of bewildering. So you were there to sort of explain not even the triple nexus, and we just wanted to know one part of that nexus. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah, my name is Nasra Ismail, and um, I'm a Somali-American. Uh, I grew up, and I was born in Hargeisa, which is up north uh, in Somaliland. And uh, we were refugees, we were sponsored um, by very, very kind, compassionate people in the uh, UN sector at the time, UNICEF particularly. And we had the opportunity of a lifetime to take my family mm-hmm. away from war to um, San Francisco in oh. 1992. So 10 of us arrived there and I was the youngest in my family. And um, I grew up uh, 10, 10 years each, 10 years in the West Coast, mm-hmm. where I would spend most of my life up until mm-hmm. high school and then 10 years of college and professional uh, life on the East Coast wow. in the DMV, which is in D.C., Virginia, <laughs> Maryland. So um, true to our nomadic uh, nature, yeah. we've moved a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, right around 2015, 16, I had the urge to come back home, my oh, original home. Nice. And so I would meet you in that period of transition, working for um, working within the humanitarian development sector. Oh, so, great. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Excited mm-hmm. to talk to you, and I think uh, to have this really important discussion. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. One of the things that I really like, uh, Nasra, about your social media coverage, because mm-hmm. I follow you. Thank you. <laughs> um, is that you're very brave about recognizing um, some of the challenges that people in the aid sector can have mm-hmm. in trying to do right by affected populations, but also yeah. to try to take care 
of yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. so part of the reason that we're having this podcast, Embodying Change, mm-hmm. is trying to show how people have been reflecting on yeah. the need for self and collective care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just interested from your perspective, having lived in different contexts and now you're based in Mogadishu. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot happening on the ground. Why do you think that care and compassion are important for us to be talking about in the aid sector? Yeah, big question. Um, from a personal perspective is how I stay alive, right? Mm-hmm. And so my, my family can tell you all that we uh, care to tell anyone about what, what it was like to grow up in Somalia, mm-hmm. what it was like to flee our home, what it was like to then find a new home in America and find new family and new neighborhoods and, and to belong. But ultimately, there's a sense of getting to every day, mm-hmm. making it to the next day. And so a sense of uh, care is literally within our DNA. To make it through every day requires for all of us um, a recognition of how uh, human we are, how frail we are, and uh, how much power there can be in being very conscious about um, your good and your bad, uh, depending on what's happening to you that day. Um, it's a privilege to be aware. Of, of, of how um, care is, is not only important, but really shapes us as humanitarians. Mm-hmm. These people uh, that we support, how we name our work the humanitarian service delivery system. So mm-hmm. for me, um, I'm glad I have not forgotten about care. It is very hard to be, um, to be mindful of care and the lack of care within the humanitarian sector in Somalia. Um, it is a place that Literally, when I first flew into Mogadishu, I knew exactly where I was. I was at an airport. Uh, I had five different check uh, points that I had to go through. I saw more guns and military and arms and cars than I ever did in my whole life. And I'm a woman above my 30s. So um, that's a shock to the senses. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, all I could think about was stay alive. Right, and so um, I have tried very hard not mm-hmm. to lose that sense of being, even in a scary place, uh, even when I'm going through a checkpoint and checkpoint, and I don't know where my safety is. Um, and then for me to share it on social media has been pretty difficult, but at the same time really empowering. Um, it's a sense of community for me. I live in Mogadishu in a guest house behind certain um, forts and protective gear and lots of guards and so I'm confined to a place where I don't have a lot of human connection other than a small team where I don't have a lot of ability to make my own community and to be free where I walk who I talk to we're always be careful mm-hmm. as humanitarians working in a conflict zone and so I have to make community even mm-hmm. if it's across social media mm-hmm. and and that community knows me based on what I put out so mm-hmm. I put out a lot of beautiful images on purpose mm-hmm because I'm gonna remain alive even to the senses of keeping humanity uh, close to me mm-hmm. in my work. I want to make friends and keep those connections mm-hmm. and make sure people are, are aware of how I'm doing, mm-hmm. uh, how I'm feeling, and then how I'm leading. Those three belong together. And mm-hmm. um, I guess if, if, if the question is, why do I do what I do? I, I had a very pivotal moment um, in 2012 when I would come into the Somalia uh, sector and leave you know the great community that I had in America so I can go to the field so I can give back to my community so I can test myself and my and, and challenge my my um, uh, skills mm-hmm. and I read this book called uh, um, 
what's the Brene Brown book? I'm forgetting it. Daring Greatly Daring or Greatly. The Gift of Imperfection? I would read that one. <laughs> my, my introduction to Brene mm. was uh, Daring Greatly. And it was mm. just, you know, uh, uh, unlearning all the things that mm. we have put around yeah. being open and vulnerable. You know, yeah. a sense of shame, a sense of closeness. Mm. And really opening ourselves to the power of vulnerability and sharing mm. and stories. And so that has helped me a lot. It gives me an opportunity to share the good, the bad, and mm-hmm. yes, the ugly, because mm-hmm. it means I'm not alone. It means my team is not alone. Mm-hmm. It means uh, I can model a sense of uh, openness and family mm-hmm. within my own team and within the community of the humanitarian family that I belong to. That's beautiful. Um, I want to pick up on a word you mentioned, priv- yeah. privilege. Yeah. Um, you said it's almost a privilege to be aware of the importance of care. Mm. And one of the things I noticed when I came out with my story in spring 2019, um, I noticed like you said, there's a community out there of people that want to connect and that want to know they're not alone in struggling. Um, But I also got some feedback that um, I myself personally am someone of privilege Mm-hmm. And when I went through my struggle, I, would, I had access to services yeah. and I had support behind me that allowed me to stop working and take care. And so um, some of the mm-hmm. feedback that's coming out is there are people, such different kinds of people in our sector. Um, we can look at headquarters versus field. Mm-hmm. We can look at women versus men. We can look at single people versus people with children. Um, we can look at national staff versus international staff. Mm-hmm. We can look at people based on their religion or their race. Or There's so much diversity, and the, depending on that, um, sometimes it's yeah. harder or easier to get support. What do you think about this idea of privilege in our sector and how it might impact in this issue of self-care? Mm. We have to unpack it, right? So, so I mm. think for me, this part of that privilege has been an individual one. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the privileges that I have in, mm-hmm. in sharing? And it takes, you know, some courage to, to share. But um, the privilege you're talking about is also very broad. And so the way it makes sense to me mm-hmm. is there's positive and negative privilege. So within the, uh, our organizations and systems that mm-hmm. we work in, mm-hmm. not everybody is of equal footing, yeah. whether it's performance-related or different types of contracts is one thing, but also in terms of who has access to whom, who has access to power in terms of finance, who has access in terms of um, ownership and program design. There's so many layers to the privilege, Mm -hmm. but um, in my sense uh, right now, it makes sense to me that one, there is a need to be aware of the privileges that exist in the system, Mm -hmm. and they're not all negative, Mm -hmm. and they're not all positive either, but we ought to orient them towards Mm -hmm. more positive. So one way that that shows up is within my line of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I work in the NGO consortium. It's a platform for national and international organizations coming together to coordinate, to lobby and advocate on very specific issues that we care about, and then to represent, to to make sure we are um, giving out and and participating in the the community in terms of what are non-governmental organizations doing? Who are they? So we are an access point. In that discussion, mm-hmm. um, we, we, we take note of the privileges that are in the system. So mm-hmm. one of the things we really try to lobby around and bring our community to understand, ultimately to improve, is localization. Mm-hmm. So how are our national actors mm-hmm. um, in the ecosystem that we work in of aid delivery, 
how are they supported? Mm-hmm. How do they show up in mm-hmm. our strategies? How do they come and feel welcome in our meetings? And then ultimately, how do they feel uh, that they are part of the community, that they belong? Um, through that discussion, we mm-hmm. employ, um, one, a basic understanding of what's in the system. There are international NGOs who are privileged mm-hmm. in many ways, but the key ways is their access to the donor, mm-hmm. their ability to stay the long, uh, um, sort of their, their ability to take care of themselves and their staff and have policies and have uh, cost structures that are a little bit more um, balanced than the national NGOs. We also look at the international NGOs' um, ability to reach far greater um, communities, uh, national, regional, international, mm-hmm. than the national. So their story is very, very prominent. Their problems are very, very well known. Um, then we ask ourselves, how are our national communities doing? So we try and be a convening uh, body to, to have mm-hmm. these conversations, as uncomfortable as they may be. And then we allow, and, and that's part of my privilege, mm-hmm. is to use my platform mm-hmm. to allow our national uh, mm-hmm. actors uh, to say, come, come to the table, tell us mm-hmm. what's good, and also tell us what's not so good, mm-hmm. and how do we then, as a collective, nice. work together. Um, that's, in a sense, taking a, an imbalance mm-hmm. in privilege, so mm-hmm. some of that negative privilege of an INGO-led, an INGO-owned, yeah. an ingo um, uh, premised stories and processes and saying, look, there's some dividends we can have here. We can work well uh, mm-hmm. together with our local actors. And localization has been this innovative tool to unearth mm-hmm. and, and surface these issues. And it's not comfortable, but it's mm-hmm. also not something where we ought to silence. And so mm-hmm. to me, that's how we deal in a system that is not perfect, mm-hmm. but we are orienting ourselves toward more positive privilege, mm-hmm. shared mm-hmm. privilege. Shared and privilege. Um, we are we are many, many years away <laughs> from equality and equity. But yeah. I think being so open uh, yeah. for me and practicing my own vulnerability and letting that be seen, yeah. uh, I, I can sense the conversations I have with my local actors. They're different and they're a bit oh, more yeah. open. And I also have a responsibility to mm-hmm. do something about mm-hmm. it. So you have hope. I have so much optimism and hope. Oh, good. I'm, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm full of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Um, when when uh, you came to Geneva to speak at the conference on the triple nexus mm-hmm. between peace, development, and humanitarian work, um, I was really inspired by how you were looking at it uh, from the Somali context and you were able to pull in all the threads. With our project now, we're looking at the triple nexus between people management, because we've heard a lot of staff are struggling because their managers or the dynamics in their teams aren't so good. So we've got people management coming together with mental health, mental health because we're hearing a lot of burnout, depression, anxiety, Mm. PTSD. Some people are relying on negative coping mechanism like alcohol. Mm -hmm. So we've got the the mental health and then below it, um, we've got this big nebulous thing that we're calling for now culture. Mm-hmm. Because we're finding, for example, in a lot of the recent stories of NGOs that were experiencing abuses of power, there was something underlying um, the cultures in those organizations. It was quite becoming quite toxic. Mm-hmm. So bringing together people management, mental health, and culture, um, does that triple nexus make sense to you? 
or does it sound like it manifests in some of the experiences you've had is kind of coming together to impact on well-being or do you think maybe we're um, barking up the wrong tree no i think i think uh it, it hits a couple of chords for me i mean mm-hmm. it makes sense to me because it's the people part i mm-hmm. mean all three of them are concerned with the people and the uh and the teams and the communities that we are so fervently always trying to take care of um it's also a nice balance. So you've got the technical nexus, right? So that's what got me to Geneva, to understand from the NGO's perspective, from the UN's perspective, what is the new ways of working? And ultimately, we, we those who came, uh, we were here uh, together with a few of our civil society organizations, mm-hmm. but that was a technical conversation mm-hmm. about how we technically design mm-hmm. better integrated programs, uh, better package of services and goods to the community. And... Um, before I move on to the to, to this other uh, comprehensive nexus and people-centered nexus, I remember that story that we told, and Halima told it mm-hmm. very beautifully. Mm-hmm. And she told it from a, a young person's perspective, and she said, here's this cycle. Uh, there's a young woman who can start out hungry and afraid and unsheltered at an emergency level, but ultimately she's got to move into kind of a livelihoods when she grows up. At a certain point, she's got to get education. She's got to be resilient. She's got to work within her community to be a rising citizen, a productive citizen. But she may come under a lot of protection issues, particularly gender-based violence. So where is the program that's going to put together that kind of integrated package of goods that takes care of her at the emergency level, mm-hmm. at the development mm-hmm. level, if she even makes it? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, as um, someone who could potentially be the leader of her community, mm-hmm. then she's got to have... Uh, she's got to have her basic needs in emergency level taken care of, her developmental needs taken care of, and then ultimately her peace, her sense of self, who she is, her internal mm-hmm. self. So in some ways, the, the, the challenge was not um, on, on the context. The challenge was to the programmers, the donors, the system. Mm-hmm. How do we change our elements, our ways of working, mm-hmm. because we've got to work for her yeah. at all stage. Um, to me, that's a very technical discussion. Mm-hmm. It's about the system. It's about the ecosystem. The soft stuff, sorry to say it that way, but the mm-hmm. stuff that makes it long-term, that makes it mm-hmm. connect across cultures, that makes mm-hmm. it human, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that we are humanitarians, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. that's the part I think we have forgotten. So you're bringing the, the other side of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we get the technical uh, discussion right, we still have to show up to work. We still have a manager. You still have to walk out of that home and get out of that yeah. bed with a sense of compassion, but also a sense of spirit and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, like I want to get something done. I want to fix that technical problem. Hard to fix the technical problem if you yourself are not together. So, so to me, the reason mm-hmm. why I'm excited to speak to you, but also excited to see how we can help with mm-hmm. this, is we've got to bring those two systems together, probably putting more weight on the compassion culture mm-hmm. uh, uh, well-being mm-hmm. so that we can get to fixing yep. those technical issues um, so, so 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 yeah so I think um, we have a long way to go but we're we started on the technical problem uh-huh. about the adaptive one and you're bringing that to our face <laughs> I, I think I learned the hard way when uh, we had the less paper more aid campaign mm-hmm. because we felt so strongly that uh, international NGOs, national NGOs, local NGOs, we're all being asked to do an increasing amount of reporting, auditing, Mm -hmm. capacity assessments, 
And it's not clear that all of that information that we're generating is being read. Mm -hmm. And I just saw a tweet today from someone who was trying to get all her donor reports in the deadline. Um, and I thought, yeah, I think we need to work on how we as a system do accountability. Mm-hmm. Is it just, and working on the technical level, it wasn't getting at the idea that we're operating in a system that hasn't really shared risk, yeah. that hasn't really shared power, that hasn't really dealt with the bigger picture mm-hmm. trends. Mm-hmm. And so while I think less paper, more aid is fantastic, I think we have to reimagine our system and look yeah. at some of the things you're looking at, like with localization. Yeah. Yeah. So next I wanted to go to potential barriers and solutions. Um, in the core humanitarian standard, there's a commitment eight that talks about supporting staff, um, treating them fairly, mm-hmm. so they can work, do their work effectively. Mm-hmm. And there's um, an organizational responsibility, number 8.9, that talks about security and well-being. And what I like about 8.9 is that it, it, it doesn't pin all of the responsibility on, for example, the individual the individual does have a responsibility to look after their mm-hmm. the, their own well-being in the sense that they need to keep an eye on it and, and address things if things are going bad. But there's also a responsibility of the manager to uh, comply with policies. The manager should be modeling good practice. And there's also a responsibility at the agency level. So... With the with the research that we've done, we found there are standards, there are guidelines, there are issues of duty of care, but there's still so many people in our sector who mm-hmm. are suffering. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions we have is, what are the barriers to fulfilling those standards? Mm-hmm. Have you Have you put any thought to that? Would you have any guesses as to why, despite that we have these standards about well-being, but there's still so many of us in the sector who are falling prey to burnout, yeah. anxiety, depression, etc. Um, I mean, I can tell you the barriers that I see, and there's probably a lot more that mm-hmm. I don't have the, um, I can't quite articulate because it requires another conversation, mm-hmm. another person, mm-hmm. another um, group setting for us to talk about. Um, within my sector, there's a lot of machoism, right? So, so you come in already. Uh, with a lot of beliefs about how to work in a conflict zone. So it's already telling you it's conflict, so you're probably getting ready to war, you know, if, if war was a verb. You're getting ready to face something bigger than you, and I think you're probably defeated by the time you come. And so um, normally what any agency that I know and most of the organizations that I work with, we all have the typical onboarding process. Mm-hmm. Part of that onboarding process does include a what at least my organization calls a resilience assessment mm-hmm. or a test. Mm-hmm. What that means is you speak with someone mm-hmm. and they uh, ask you several questions, but all guided by that internal policy uh, about do you know where you're working, how do you handle stress, and a lot of other questions about your own coping mechanisms. A part of it is to wake you up to what you've just signed on to mm-hmm. on a contract. Part of it is to ensure that you are aware of what the organization's uh, assets are, what they could offer if you were to choose to use them. Uh, the other part is purely contractual, mm-hmm. check in the box. Mm-hmm. You know, we've taken care of your needs. What's unfortunate is that's not a process that goes throughout. You know, imagine if you had someone you were going to help. Mm-hmm. You see them at the, um, you know, at the at the beginning of the registrations. You get all the forms right, and then you just let them go. Thank you very much. 
go 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 into whatever world you're gonna go into and then i may or may not see you so it's it's limiting it's 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 there it's a legal check it's not uh, recognizing the continuity of relationships and the continuity of keeping up with that human being that you have taken responsibility over in terms of at least their placement to their work and ultimately where they will uh, be um, uh, traveling towards you know uh, their their own safety and safety policy of that organization um some of the other barriers are like i said you know it takes an individual a group a family to talk about how do we create the kind of workplace or the kind of um, environment where people can talk about the things that have nothing to do with machoism the real things about today i went to uh, visit a community of displaced uh, people and i felt like i did my job but i feel quite broken on the inside who do i have that conversation with so me as as, as somebody within my uh, uh, team that is given the title of a leader I'm, i have to take some responsibility to download and say how was it uh, i want to make sure that my team is not going out to certain places that i know are going to be triggering by themselves I want to be aware that maybe tomorrow they may come in a little late. So so part of it is if I'm aware of, of what's happening within me when mm-hmm. I go through that process, I'm much mm-hmm. more in uh, able to then predict what my staff are going to go through. Because it's not like we go and do all kinds of things. Our, our work is pretty predictable. You have meetings, you go and visit some communities, you do a lot of report writing, you're spending a lot of time with the, the computer, and then you go home to your family and then we do it again. Um, so... It's happening at a very artificial level, mm-hmm. this discussion about well-being and how to uh, mm-hmm. inculcate a culture of well-being. Mm. Um, the second is uh, it's very individual. We haven't had a community mm-hmm. of, uh, within the workplace mm-hmm. across brands and mm-hmm. across NGOs. It doesn't matter if you're national or international. Mm-hmm. We work at the same context. How do we talk about it? How, mm-hmm. do, we, how, how do we lead? And for me, uh, we have come up with a kind of a three-layer recommendation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm testing it, mm. but part of it is to have uh, what I'm calling graceful mm-hmm. uh, connections, graceful conversations, graceful interaction at the personal level, at the work level, but also at a partnership level. The second is coalitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of uh, the barriers in a place like Somalia is you are immediately losing physical connection with your team. Because, again, we're in different guest houses. Somebody lives uh, a couple of kilometers away from where I am. Somebody is in the same guest house, but you see each other for eight hours and we disappear. We don't have a lot of communal uh, connections around dinner and food. Um, and then we all fly a lot. We all mm. are traveling so much, so we don't check in with one another. Mm. What's happening at the global context is also pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're othering people. Mm-hmm. A lot of strangeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there isn't these alliances that we can create with mm-hmm. how to, yes, even if they're in Bangladesh or in Colombia or Venezuela, how do we as humans connect? So there's a lot of stories about how divisive we can be, mm-hmm. and a lot of stories about how communal we can be. Um, and in a system of privilege and disempowerment, it only gets worse. So we're calling for coalitions. In a time of great division, we call for coalitions. And not the kind of coalitions where we all end up sitting with 500 different militias who, same, the same langu- who speak the same language, who have gone to the same school, who mm-hmm. have the same job, who use the same mm-hmm. lingo, but it's actually finding militias across the world mm-hmm. and, and, and saying, look, here's how we connect, even if it's one similarity. So we're calling for coalitions, and it's, uh, the term we're using is coalition across differences. Oh, nice. Um, the third thing is language. So if, if I... I come into the sector, mm-hmm. and the language we use is stress, and macho, <laughs> and, and weak, and, and you know, uh, what, what is some of the other words that I hear within, within my own community, the Somali community, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're, you're um, 
soft, uh, you're not really a leader, you're not hard. That language can stop a lot of conversations so then we know who's being, who's burned out, who's close to being burned out, what we can do about it. It's very limiting language. The same way within the international sector, we have technical language for communities that we care for, mm-hmm. IDP, host community, um, displaced community, uh, you know, um, national NGO, international NGO. None of this brings to me an image of a human being. It's a problem. It's mm. a technical term for a problem. Mm-hmm. And so um, the discussions that I have at a high level is how do we bring the community in? How do I mm. get a sense of feedback from the community? What do I do to help mm. that community rise out of their condition? Um, and there the grace part comes in. Mm. Yes, tell I us can, more about grace. I can tell you when I first heard and, and was sort of hit with this, well, one, a situation that we were in that was not full of grace, and then how I was committed to bring grace into the way that I work, the way that I talk, the way that I uh, interact with community. Uh, in January 2017, I went to Hargeisa together with the then humanitarian coordinator. It was the beginning of the second, what we thought would be a famine for Somalia mm-hmm. after just 2011. Oh. 260,000 people perished, mm-hmm. half of them children. It was mm-hmm. a wake-up call to the world. Mm-hmm. We cannot let our systems that have been set mm-hmm. to help um, not do what they're supposed to do, not act on the early learning, uh, the early warning rather, not act on providing the right uh, support financially to get programs going. And so that was a, um, an inflection point. And in 2016, we thought we would be back then. So a lot of us forgot about who we work with and just went to the field to talk to the community and to begin that pledge and that advocacy. We went to a community called Swing, which is only about an hour away from Hargeisa. And as usual, we move in groups, we go to the community, there's an elder, we speak to the elder, and she's telling us about what's happening. And she's saying, here's what you can do. But there's a lot lost in language. So she's beautiful. She's got this purple uh, headscarf and this um, uh, very bright, uh, beautiful um, uh, niqab. And she's saying, look, um, we have a lot of issues. Uh, our animals are dying. Uh, these kids that she's pointing out to the kids who are all hanging behind the cameras and the security that are with us on this trip. She's saying, these kids are out of school. Um, you're not the first people we have met. There are many of you who have come to assess. You know, she was saying a lot within about a minute. And then she goes, the, the way we're going to solve this problem and the, and, and the entity that we are wanting um, to free us from these uh, issues is Allah, is God. However, where you and the international community can support, we can also reveal our needs to you. She said this in a beautiful language in Somali. I'm sitting there, there's somebody who is already um, uh, doing the translation. But in that translating from what this woman has just said, very powerfully in four or five sentences in Somali, and then it got translated into English, 50% of it is already gone. And then the opportunity for our team to ask questions and to sort of dig in um, was lost. Because it's from that conversation, mm-hmm. the questions were, but tell us how many people are in this community. We're looking for data. So here is this opportunity mm. in this graceful moment, I think, in this mm-hmm. moment where somebody from the community is telling you, I have needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are not the only entity that can help. I have an organizing principle about how I see these needs mm-hmm. being met from, a, yes, a very Islamic, very spiritual mm-hmm. perspective. We had an opportunity to dig deep, to co-create with her, to sit down, to mm-hmm. ask her, who are the other people that showed up? Uh, you must be tired from all these visits. How can I help you just get through today? We went straight to, my needs are, I need numbers. 
and my needs are I need to know um, how many schools you want and my project you know it was yeah. just a very technical discussion where it would have been a much more humane discussion so to us grace is gonna help us if we get it right mm -hmm. to have those conversations give them the space that they need dignify that person mm -hmm. we're talking to that's not a beneficiary that's someone with a lot of intel mm -hmm. that's someone with a lot of knowledge about who came before whether it was another UN or NGO, doesn't matter, but she's telling you, mm -hmm. you have been talking to me too much. Mm -hmm. I'm drained by these assessments. She's giving us a lot of input yeah. about the system, yeah. but you know we're not listening. And so Grace would have it, at least for me, uh -huh. um, to slow down that process, mm -hmm. to take myself out of that mm -hmm. process and say, tell me, thank you for giving me that feedback about how we work, because we do do a lot of assessments, that is a reality, and Tell me how we can help you, and you have an organizing principle of faith, and, and how do we make sure that that's not lost? Because she's calling for a community of faith builders, and she's calling for um, some ability for the international uh, community to come in. But it could have could have been so much richer. But we were one hour away from returning back to Nairobi, and we had to go, mm -hmm. and we were squeezing in a conversation that could have lasted three months mm -hmm. into three minutes. Mm. So, so being patient and, and being mm. considering of people's time and actually putting a lot of distance between us and the problems we're dealing with and mm -hmm. the community that wants to connect with us, this is something we're, we're trying to practice to be better listeners. Uh, the story you just told, I can really picture happening in a lot of places mm -hmm. where you've got people that feel overwhelmed um, by their deadlines, by their responsibilities, um, they feel like they have to get in, get the job done, get deliver. Um, what do you think it would take to get behavior changed? These, are, these behaviors are so entrenched. This idea, people are busy. People have yeah. to get things done quickly. They have uh, donors to report to. They have managers who want to to yeah. see what they've accomplished. Um, in a book by Alessandra Pini, the Idealist mm -hmm. Survival Kit. She talks about us as human beings, but nowadays it's we're human doings. Mm. <laughs> so to your point on grace and your point on yeah. actually connecting with the humans and uh, slowing down a little bit, but then really getting deeper. What do you think it would take for us um, in the aid community to make that change in behavior? Mm. I think we start with the beginning. So what I do mm -hmm. as an individual, right? I'm part of a system and I can't quite come up with a paradigm shift for the system, but I can tell you what Nasra does. And Nasra is trying to really be better about herself. How do I slow down with my mm -hmm. own schedule? How do I uh, ensure that I have time to speak to someone else, even if it's got nothing to do with my deadline? How do I detach myself from that strong, incentivized need to achieve to meet that deadline. I've met some deadlines, I've also not met others, and everything is okay. <sighs> I haven't had such a consequential deadline that I felt like this is the end. So I think we have to really review these pressure points we put on ourselves. Um, part of it is that coalition, the more all of us in the system can sit together and go, what's really needed? And why are we putting a lot of things on ourselves? Um, that's going to take that community of um, uh, well-doers, good-doers, humanitarians to, to identify what's real and what's not real. The system shouldn't necessarily um, 
move us to an unhealthy one. I mean, where then you are creating more bad than you are creating mm-hmm. good. And so I think we have to be very responsible in how we respond to the system. I think uh, leadership has to model it. You're absolutely right. Um, but we also need mm-hmm. this language, this other uh, ways of working, much more human-oriented. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of technical solutions, but we need mm-hmm. a lot of human solutions as well, a sense of community, a mm-hmm. sense of bond. Mm-hmm. And yes, no shame in discussing that I've had a really hard day. Mm-hmm. And, and that I might need a break and that it may not be uh, something that's so looked down on mm-hmm. but it's something that is actually quite um, elevating mm-hmm. Wow, that we have that kind of community and connection and workplace, we're going to thrive then let someone else have their day someone else is going to probably fill in and all of a sudden you see colleagues coming together in support and not just coming together to finish a report I'm much more interested in you know what happens when there's a human problem and then the mm-hmm. community of, that I have within my support system uh, response mm-hmm. and the other uh, other area I think for me is language how we define what success is mm-hmm. how we define what a team is and how we ultimately def- redefine the humanitarian we've lost we have one definition it's quite um, corrosive I think we take mm-hmm. narrative change and we redefine it and mm-hmm. so for me part of humanitarian now is grace is coalitions mm-hmm. is um, being open and, and not always looking mm-hmm. for accountability but looking for a conversation Mm-hmm. If we're not even talking, what's the point of creating the most amazing accountable system? A report is not necessarily going to save anybody, including myself. So, um, so, so to me, we've got more work, but I feel mm-hmm. much more powerful and much more um, optimistic than I ever mm-hmm. have been before. Wow, because, good. Because there's only one way out. And so we have to orient mm-hmm. ourselves to, to, to that way out. And we have the assets. Mm-hmm. The assets mm-hmm. are not the tools and the, uh, only in the computer. The assets are the people. And that, for mm-hmm. me, includes the people on the ground that we have the graciousness to support. Nice. Um, Given Tuesday is a small campaign we're beginning to start now. Uh-huh. And in a place like Somalia where there are such power differentials of who has money, who doesn't have money, who has more political power, who doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, Given Tuesday is kind of coming in to help us democratize our language around giving. So I would love to see a world in the next decade. We're entering a really critical decade mm-hmm. where I don't have to refer to my donor as a donor. How about a giver? Because mm-hmm. I'm a giver. I give my time. Mm-hmm. I give my heart. Mm-hmm. My colleagues, they give their time and their support. Mm-hmm. So we need to democratize the language so that we have the same starting point. Because the more we differentiate each other, the more uh, we'll, we'll have a hard time coming back to a common vision. I love that idea of giving. Um, with the, And I know you have to go to the airport mm-hmm. um, to close. Um, as we design an initiative to shift our culture in the sector to one that's more caring and compassion. Like you were, you were saying earlier, um, with an affected person, we wouldn't just register them and say, you go off on your way. With a staff member, we shouldn't just interview them and then say, you're on your own. It's this idea of applying to ourselves the values that we espouse yeah. for the people affected by war and natural disaster. Yeah. Um, I really like this idea of giving. And within the Core Humanitarian Standard Alliance, we have many different NGO types. Um, so we would welcome those NGOs who would like to support financially an initiative. We also really value um, organizations who are experimenting mm-hmm. with their own ways of working and can share yeah. and share that with others, inspire others. Yeah. So um, as you head off to the airport, Nasra, mm-hmm. um, is there any final piece of advice or something you'd like to leave with the listeners who are all um, in it together, so to speak? 
Um, well, I think on, on their behalf and on my behalf, thank mm -hmm. you for starting this. This is the beginning of a solidarity and coalition uh, of people who care for one another mm -hmm. so that we can care for the other people who are, uh, are dependent on us. Um, I think we have to get brave. Yeah, Brene Brown is very serious about this work. <laughs> we have the tools, we have the books. Yeah. There are many people who probably have read other authors, but to me, get brave, have the discussions, let's make community around well-being and not suffering. Mm. And we'll dare greatly. And we'll totally dare. Greatly. And we'll 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 tag her on her. <laughs> Brene, if you're listening, I hope you get to come on this podcast because <laughs> there's a whole different community of humanitarians who are using your work. It's not just leadership; it's really truly life saving work. Thank, so, you. thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Nasra. And have a great flight back. Yay! <laughs>thank you for listening to embodying change a series of conversations on care and compassion in aid and development this podcast is supported by chs alliance the global fund for community foundations change making women and healing solidarity the show was produced and edited by ziada abade and the music for it was written and recorded by eleanor brown who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com